couple of years ago, I found myself in kind of a unique situation for me, and that is that it was a Sunday, Sunday afternoon, services were done, and uh, that afternoon, Twyla had something going on with a ladies thing, so she was gonna be gone all afternoon. I didn't have anything that afternoon, nor did I have uh, anything in the evening, and so I had the afternoon free. And I didn't have any big projects at home, at least none that I wanted to tackle. And, uh, and so I thought, there's this movie I've wanted to go see, and, and I think this would be a prime opportunity for me to go. Since most of the movies I like to see, you know, like the superhero movies and that, you know, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and that, Twilight. So at any rate, I decided that I would go. Uh, but my boys were all busy doing other stuff, so I, uh, they couldn't go. And I couldn't think of anybody that I, that I could call last minute um, that wouldn't be busy as well and could come with me. So I just decided to go to a movie by myself. How many of you have been to a movie by yourself before? How many like going to movies by yourself? Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. I, I, the movie was good, but I suddenly found that there was nobody to talk to about the movie. You know, it, I realize that a big part of it for me is you get done with the movie and you start talking about what parts you liked and the characters you liked and the plot twists and all that sort of thing. And, and I'm an extrovert. You know, I, I like being with people. And so I found myself in this movie and I'm sitting there and, and nobody sat even near me. And, and I, yeah, I know, I don't know why. And I, and I, uh, I maybe because I, I just look so glum, I don't know. But I, I felt kind of lonely. You know, now that, that doesn't mean that, that uh, you know, I don't like alone time, you know, because there are times w when I do like working on something or doing something or, or just having some time to myself where I could just go do whatever. But, but this was a little different for some reason. I realized I really don't like being alone. And, and, and again, for you introverts that are out there, because I, I have talked to a number of introverts who have said, going to a movie by myself, that would be heaven. You know, I just love that. But, but you like you know, you get your energy more from being alone, you know, rather than being with a bunch of people. And, and I get that. Even so, I think uh, that it's a lie to say that you don't care at all whether you're around anybody ever again, you know? And there have been those individuals who I've bumped into once in a while said, you know, if, if I could just go up in the woods and live by myself and never see another soul, I would be happy. You know, and that's, that's baloney. I've, I, I don't think that that's true. I don't even think it's healthy. And I think that some of what we see in our world today is bearing some of that out. I remember seeing a shirt one time that had this uh, logo written on it. It said, I like living in my own little world. Everyone knows me here. You know, and it's kind of one of those where, yeah, other people just uh, get it bad. Way back in 1965, uh, Simon and Garfunkel sang a song about being alone, and the tagline was, I am a rock, I am an island. And, and in the middle of that, there's this one line where they, wrote, they sang, I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock, I am an island. And, and if you really listen to the song, um, what they're doing with that is it's, there's almost a, 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 a sarcastic element to it, or, or, or they're, they're really trying to say, you know, life doesn't really work this way. I can say I'm a rock, I can say I'm an island, but it doesn't work. That's not how people have been built, and, and certainly the statistics bear that out. The truth is that loneliness is a growing problem in our society today, and, and the Christian research group 
Barna reports that three in 10 Americans report feeling lonely at least once every day of the year. And I think that's just been exacerbated by COVID and, and you know, those, the years of being alone. But you think about that, three out of 10 people say that at least at some point in every single day, they have this overwhelming feeling of loneliness. And that's incredible to me. What's more, uh, the, the US Surgeon General has put out some statistics that are kind of shocking. Uh, they say uh, that loneliness or a lack of connection can increase the risk of premature death to levels comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The research further shows that loneliness or poor interpersonal connection leads to a 29% increase in risk for heart disease, a 32% increased risk for stroke, and a 50% increased risk of dementia for older adults. Being alone is not such a great thing. Twyla and I and Gabe and Evan went to the Spire Conference in Tennessee here a couple of weeks back. And at that conference, we heard all kinds of great speakers, but, but one of the big things they were talking about, the theme of the whole conference was into the wild. And, and what they were saying was, you know, especially when COVID hit, but we've always kind of said this in some way, we think, oh, like for me, I think, oh man, this week was busy, but next week it'll get back to normal. Uh, or this month was busy, but next week it'll get back to normal. Or COVID hit, but next year it'll get back to normal. Guess what? Never does. And it's never going to. The world is constantly changing, and we find now today that, that we are kind of like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, you know, and wondering what's next. And what we need is a God to walk with us and lead us uh, in, in the midst of that. And so for us to, to think in terms of somehow it, it's going to get better, it's not. And so at this conference, one of the speakers uh, was Clayton Hensel. And he reported that anxiety is the number one disorder or problem among women in the United States today. And it's number two for men, which is kind of interesting. He went on to say that half of the teens that they interview report feeling hopeless and depressed. And we see that in the fact that suicide is the second leading cause of death for 10 to 24 year olds. They're disconnected. They have no one to share their problems with, they feel lonely. So it's not surprising that when we go back to the creation story in Genesis within our Bibles, we see God there pronouncing all these things good as he creates them. But we come finally to this point where for the first time God says something is not good. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. In that moment, God created more than just a partner for Adam. He created society, which is why God said to them in Genesis 1:28, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. God did not create people to live their lives alone. He didn't create them to be a rock all by themselves or an island somewhere. In our preaching series, we're addressing uh, the question, who am I? And so we're, we're hitting it with uh, each week, these little I am statements. I say little I am's, we're not the big I am, which is God. <laughs> so it's the little I am's, you know, uh, realizing that we are made in God's image, you know, and we're told that. And so we've addressed that and we started the first week with this idea that I am loved. 
And then second week, we had to acknowledge, I am broken, every last one of us. And yet God did something about that. And then the third week was, I am forgiven. And so this morning, the I am statement we're addressing is this, I am never alone. I am never alone. So let's jump into three ideas this morning to to walk us through this reality that we are never alone. The first is this, I am never alone because God is with me. That might be one of those well, duh statements uh, if you're anyone who's followed Jesus for a while, but, but we forget that. We forget that God is right there, that he is with us. We know that God is omnipresent. I mean, we say, use these big words. That means God is, is everywhere. We can read what, what David has to say when he says, where can I go from your presence, O Lord? If I go to the highest heavens, you are there. If I go to the lowest place, you are there. If I cover myself with darkness, even there, your presence is with me, he says. And so we, we acknowledge this reality about God, and yet, we forget so often. And beyond just us, there are so many people in the world who don't realize that God is right there waiting for them just to acknowledge his presence. How their loneliness might be spoken to if they just realize there's a God who loves them and cares about them and yes, is ever present with them even when they feel they're all alone. That's what Part of what Paul was trying to say when he preached his sermon in Athens in Acts 17, and he was talking to these philosophers, and you know, Paul went through the city, and he, and he was amazed by the number of idols that he saw in the city. But he gets up to preach, and rather than, than blasting the people because of all their pagan idols, he says, uh, men of Athens, you know, and I'm sure there's some women there too, people of Athens, he says, I see that you are very religious people. In fact, as I was going through your cities, your city today, I saw that you had this one special idol. It was, a, it was a, an idol to an unknown God. Well, I'm here to tell you who the unknown God is. And he goes on to tell them about the one and only true God who created all things. And, and this is what he says in verses 24 through 28 as he speaks to them. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. You hear what he's saying? God is close. All you have to reach out and and acknowledge him and he's there. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, we are his children. So God is always near to absolutely everyone on the planet, but is more than that, his closeness is more than that for the believer, for someone who follows him, for someone who has accepted the gift of his son, Jesus. And and even those in the Old Testament prior to Jesus coming who reached out to him and to whom God has reached out because God is always reaching, he's always calling. And so we find that God desires this very personal relationship 
with people. We go all the way back to the beginning. God, as we talked about uh, last week, God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He walked with them. Even after they were kicked out of the garden, we see that God interacted with, with humankind uh, as they continued down a destructive path. He reached out to them, wanting relationship with them. God established a covenant with Abraham, his servant, to be his God. He says, I will be your God and you will follow me. He wanted to have that personal interaction. God told Moses that his presence would be with the Israelites, his people, wherever they went. Even though he said they were stiff-necked people and there were times when he was this close just wanting to, to blast them, you know. Still he relented and he said, my presence will go with you and I will be your God. Moses, after he was done leading, just before they were to go into the promised land, he pulled Joshua aside. And this is what we read in Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. What Moses said to Joshua we need to say to each other today, when we're feeling lonely, when we feel there's nowhere to turn, to remember that the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God tells the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah these words, and we read some of these this morning. Twyla was reading them for us, but... I'll just capture a piece of each one. So do not fear, God says, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, God says. Jesus told his followers, Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, we read that, that great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you know, and teaching them, uh, to obey everything that, that I have taught you. You know, we read that, and then we come to this last line and we kind of throw that off when it's so important. He goes, and surely, when he says, and surely, absolutely, you can count on it. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. As long as we walk the planet, Jesus says, I will be with you. The writer of Hebrews then assures us, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And in John's revelation at the end of our Bibles, we have this promise, chapter 21. John says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is the throne of God. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. This is God's end game. This is what he wants when everything is made right. That he will dwell with us in a way that he doesn't even dwell with us now. He will walk personally with us just as he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Can you imagine it? I can't. I'm just wondering what that will be like, how incredible that will be to know God's presence in that way. 
And so God has always had this desire to be with us, to be in relationship with us, to speak to our loneliness. In fact, one of the most powerful things that happened with Jesus going to the cross and rising again is that God sent the Holy Spirit. And where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Within us. God with us. How can we say, God doesn't care about me? How can we say, I'm so alone that there's nowhere to turn when he has placed his very spirit within us? In fact, Peter, in preaching the first sermon, said, repent and be baptized, Acts 2.38, Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And usually you read that part. No, that's, that's really great, but, but that last line, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He dwells with us. And so as Pastor Marcus Lamb once wrote, no matter how alone you think you are, God is always a prayer away. He's always listening and ready to hear what you have to say. He is our Heavenly Father who knows us, loves us, forgives us and walks beside us through the valley of the shadow of death, as David says. We have a heavenly father who is all powerful and hears our every cry, which brings us then to a second idea. I am never alone because I am a part of the church. I'm never alone because I'm a part of the church. One of the most powerful ways that God addresses our loneliness is that he gives us the gift of the church. Now I know that there are those who would say that the church is a gift, (laughs) it's not for me. And I know that some people have been hurt by the church. And by the way, when I say the church, I don't mean this building or any building. The people of God are the church. And we're broken people. We talked about that, remember, in in week two. (laughs) We're all broken, but we're being healed but we're being made whole, we're being made to be more like Jesus, we're being transformed, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12. We're becoming more like him. But if you, you know, I've heard people say before that the church is like a giant hospital, but it's a weird kind of hospital because you know who takes care of the sick people in the church's hospital? Sick people. There are no doctors. It's the sick people taking care of the sick people. And if, if we acknowledge that and we understand that, then yes, sometimes we're gonna make a mess of it. We're gonna step in it. We're gonna, we're gonna hurt each other, okay? But we bring the grace that God has given to us and we, we let that go and we continue to help each other. And we don't have to be alone there. You look around you here and hopefully you see sitting beside you you know, around you, those whom you could go to when you are in need. If you are sitting here today and you think, I can't do that, you got to get to know these people. (laughs) I mean, I know for me, if I was in trouble, uh, I have hundreds of people that I could go to that would help me. I know they would in a heartbeat. You would. I know it. We should all know that. We should take advantage of that. We should, we should lean into that. We should dive into that and become more a part of the church. It's one of the reasons why we, we keep pressing the life group thing because those are places where you can really get to know people and you might not always agree on everything, but one thing 
you can agree on is that we're here for each other. We help each other. We will lift each other up. We don't have to be alone because we are part of the church. This is one of the fundamental meanings of what we do each Sunday when we come to this table right here. This table where we have a celebration of the body and blood of Jesus, that he went to the cross and died in our place and he rose again that we might live. And so Jesus gave us this when he was at that last supper, we call it the last supper uh, with his followers. And he changed the meaning of this for them and established it as something that the church would carry. And from, from Jesus' time, from that table till today, we still do this. This is the central part of what each Sunday when we come together, of what we offer together. It's not the preaching. We always think that's the most important because it takes the longest, and that's because some people won't be quiet and they talk too long, um, one person in particular. Uh, but this is really what it's about, okay? And when we come to communion, it's not just, you know, I heard a guy say a long time ago, and I hope none of our people ever say this, you know, um, sorry if you have, but, but I heard somebody say once at a communion service, say, you know what communion is? Communion is just the time between you and God. So I want you to sit down right now and just bow your heads and close everything else out, nobody else around you, and just, just focus on your relationship with God, and that's all that communion is about. And that's not true. Yes, it's about our relationship with God, but it's also about acknowledging, you know, we're acknowledging the body of Christ, but where else is the body of Christ? Here. We are the body of Christ. If we're gonna acknowledge the body of Christ, then communion isn't just about communing with God, but it's communing with each other. We together and collectively then find our place in God's family by taking the bread and the cup. And we are saying, we belong to each other. That's why at our congregation here, we practice something called open communion. And what that means, what open communion basically means is that if you name Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome at this table as our brother and sister. Doesn't matter if you're a first time visitor, doesn't matter if you've been going here all your life. If you name Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're part of the family. You're just a cousin we haven't met yet. <laughs> and so come, join us. And here is a place where you can come if you need help, if you're feeling alone, if you need a shoulder to cry on, whatever it is, that you can come. And this is an acknowledgement of that as much as it's an acknowledgement of the God who loves us and the relationship we have with him. And so we gather around this table. Well, here's the last idea. You know, we don't need to be lonely because God is with us. We don't need to be lonely because we're part of the church. But there's always then this, you know, God doesn't always just leave us with, okay, it's all about me and what I can get and soak in. There's, there's a reaching out part. And so I am never alone, so I reach out to the lonely. Okay, and, it, and it tags in with this whole idea of, of we're one in Christ. Since God has reached out to us, he expects us to do the same for those around us. It's why Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, well, the greatest is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Was that it? No. 
He gives a two for one. Man, what a deal. He says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Because Jesus understood that if we're going to show our love to God, we have to show it to his people. If we say we love God, if we say we love Jesus, and we recognize the body of Christ, then we have to recognize the body of Christ. We have to love people, and it even goes beyond the body of Christ that we would love a lost world who may hate us, who may treat us terribly, who may want to kill us, but we love them anyway. We're called to reach out. Uh, John captures this in 1 John 4. He says, we love because God first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have, have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. John says. And so we reach out to people who feel alone in a lonely world. Susan Metz, in her book, The Loneliness Epidemic, writes the following. She says, what the Christian faith teaches has Christians do so many things that are good for loneliness. Things like group singing. Do you think about when we sing here together, you know, how group singing brings us together. Uh, you, you know, I think about that in other contexts, uh, you know, um, ball games. I've been watched a couple of football games where, where the student body all begin to sing a song together. And, and while some of the songs are better than others, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that there's a solidarity that comes with that. And all of a sudden, rather than being one person sitting uh, in the midst of thousands and not knowing any of them, we're a group. I belong, we're together. And suddenly my loneliness is put aside because I'm part of the whole. When we sing here together, it's not, again, just that we lift our voices to God and he's all that matters, but in the singing together, we are drawn together. It, it, it abolishes, it puts aside the loneliness that we might feel if we really sing and join our voices together. She goes on, she says, group singing, community service. What great ways I think of missions trips I've been on. I think of, of things that, that even around here that we've been able to do. Uh, meeting in person. Just the fact that you've come here today to be with the people of God is battling any loneliness that you might be facing. It's giving you that opportunity. It helps us not to feel alone. She goes on, but confronting loneliness isn't an ultimate goal. Interesting. It's not the ultimate goal. In the taxonomy of the church priorities, it is a subcategory of loving your neighbor. So what she's saying is that if we uphold the command of Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves, then within that, we will be addressing loneliness. There won't be lonely people if we're out there loving them as Jesus loved. And another interesting thing about that, our own feelings of loneliness will subside when we go to help someone else, when we go to love someone else. And this kind of love 
that we're called to show. We're talking about something that reaches, reaches beyond the walls of this building again. Okay? And it sacrifices more than just coming to worship once a week. And it speaks of a hope that is greater than just coming to someone and says, I'll pray for you, and then pushing it on down the road. It calls for more than that. It is reaching into another person's loneliness with compassion, with empathy, with friendship, and with simple acts of kindness. And since we are not alone, we are called by God to reach out in this way to the lonely. So we need to remember that we are never alone because God is with us, that we are never alone because we are part of the church, and that because we are never alone, we are called to reach out to the lonely and to truly reach them, though it might cost us something. There's a Christian poet um, wrote a poem called On Eating Cake All By Myself. Her name is uh, Lucy Shaw. I find it kind of, her stuff's kind of interesting. She doesn't use normal punctuation like some would, kind of like an E.E. E. Cummings, uh, if any of you know who he is, uh, kind of, a, of an author. Um, but she, she had this, this poem on eating cake all by, my, by yourself. And this is what she writes. As soon as she said, so lonely, I talked warmly as fast as I could about gardening and church, fellowship and convenient shopping centers and Red Cross volunteer work and good TV programs and the friend closer than a brother and others more needy than she. Then I depositing the flowered cake tin on the kitchen counter, neat as the numeral one, I left. What Lucy is trying to say to us is this, don't leave. Stay and eat cake. Stay and talk to this person about life, but, but stay and build a friendship. And you'll find that it's not only good for them, but it will be good for you as well. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, there are so many lonely people in the world and you know them all. Father, I first pray that, that you would help us to remember that we are not alone because of your presence with us and your spirit in us. And second, Father, I would ask that you would help us to truly be the church as we reach out to the lonely among us, even within our ranks, even within our family. And third, Father, that, that you would give us the eyes of Jesus that, looks, that look beyond the smiles uh, that are plastered on faces, that, that look beyond and see the need that we might reach in friendship to those who just need someone to listen or just need someone to care or just need a little of our time or whatever that need might be. Maybe they need something big, but that, Lord, you would use us. Help us to banish 
the loneliness. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.